already almost to February, and it's hard for me to register that this is the first Sunday of 2018. So congratulations to you for starting your year out uh, in a great fashion as regards to your connection and worship in this particular location. Just curious, by show of hands, does anybody recognize that slide? A couple kind of tentatives. Um, So here's the question. In 2012, I preached a series of messages called The Best is Yet to Come. Uh, And it started the first Sunday, or excuse me, the second Sunday in January, and, and it ran for six weeks. If you were here in January or February of 2012 for any of this messages series, maybe you recognize it better if I say people, places, and programs, which we've reviewed from time to time. If you were here... Uh, during 2012, the first couple of months, would you stand up? Okay, that's about what I expected. Uh, over half of the people in the room were not, so theor- you can have a seat. So theoretically, I could go back and re-preach that series, which was kind of what I was curious about. Um, uh, but uh, seriously, let me see here. Um, I actually went back and listened to all six of those messages this week. And if you want a weird week, spend a number of hours listening to yourself talk. Uh, uh, It was an interesting experience. But as I listen, and I don't often say this because many of you know I kind of struggle and I'm, I'm more inclined to put myself down than lift myself up. But as I listened to those, I thought, oh, this is some pretty good stuff. Um, and surprisingly, much of what I said in that series uh, was still incredibly relevant to the life of this church. And for those of you who haven't noticed in your program, oftentimes, not every year, but oftentimes at the first of the year, I will bring a message or a series of messages that I call the state of the church. In other words, how are we as a congregation doing? Uh, what's working? What isn't? Uh, what do we have to look forward to? And, and this was part of this series. If you're interested, uh, some of you already have it, but you can get an app for your smartphone uh, through Sermon.net. It's a free app. You just search for our ministry, and you can access a lot of our, I think, 300, almost 315 of our previous messages, including these messages. So if you're curious or if you're really bored or you need help sleeping at night, um, you might consider going back and listening to some of those messages. Just kind of get a sense for if you were here where we've been, if you weren't here where we've been, and maybe some of how we got where we're at right now. Uh, or you can listen to them on our website at caringcommunitychurch.net. Uh, that's, you don't have to do that for this to be relevant, uh, but if you're curious, I'd, so I'd, I'd put that up there. But as a part of the message, or the series was based on a, a speaker that I had heard who led a very, very successful ministry, and he was challenging his leadership team with the concept of what would it look like for our next five years to be our best five years. And a part of what came out of my teaching in that series was the reality is for the next five years for our ministry to be the best, it needs to be the best five years for us individually. So again, a lot of the message kind of got into some of those things we can do to dig in to our own lives spiritually and make the next set of years our best. If you are a good at math at all, and if not, you can get out your phones and they can help you with this, but you know that if I taught this in 2012, we've gone way past five years, all right? Um, But the concept is one that I want us to continue to wrestle with, and as I've already indicated, as a part of that series of messages, I created this image, people, places, and programs, 
as I thought about what it would take for our church for the next five years to be the best five years, I felt we would have to address things with regard to people. We would have to address things with regard to our places, and we would have to address things with regard to our programming. And what I emphasize repeatedly and what the diagram is intended to communicate is that those are all interconnected. If we improve one without improving the other, it's really not going to generate the result we desire. So that's kind of where all of this came from and and what I emphasized throughout the course of those series of messages. Repeatedly throughout those messages, I brought us back to our vision statement. And there are seasons where I spend more time and energy emphasizing this, and there are seasons where I do not. As a matter of fact, in listening to the messages, I think maybe like the fourth or fifth one into the series, after I'd been talking about it week after week after week, um, I flashed that slide briefly, and I took it down, and I gave a $25 gift card to somebody who could stand up and recite our vision statement without having to read it. Uh, And uh, again, I won't name names, um, but I just put it up there today just as a refresher. Some of you may have never seen it. Some of you may have heard us talk about it. But this really is a part of the guiding force in terms of the decisions that we make and the direction of our ministry. And I think, I was was peeking back there. Uh, At Caring Community Church, it is our vision to create a Christ-centered, family-focused environment where people of all ages are invited, welcomed, and challenged to live out a passionate love relationship with God. Did I get it? All right. Now, as you can see, there are a lot of different facets to that. And it's not enough for me to memorize that and for me to live that. The extent to which our future continues to move in the direction we would like it to see, or I should say we move in the direction that we feel we need to go as a church, it's imperative for all of us to begin to grapple with some of that. And and there's a whole series of messages in breaking down all the different pieces, parts of that, and, and that's not what I'm headed today. But I, I did talk a lot, and this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's from the establishment of the early church in Acts chapter 2. And I'm just going to read this. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 40. With many other words he warned them, he being Paul, as he's preaching after Pentecost, or on the day of Pentecost. says, with many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And again, those of you who know the Bible history and know the experience of the Holy Spirit coming down and and filling the disciples and, and God just doing an amazing work, Peter gets up and he preaches, and this is the response. And it should cause all of us to sit up and take notice because the same Holy Spirit that moved in that day is the Holy Spirit that wants to move in our day and move in our midst. Continuing Acts chapter 2, it says, They devoted, they being those who who made the decision to enter into a real personal life-changing love relationship with the God of all creation. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostle. So some crazy stuff was going on there. They're getting together regularly. They're they're listening to teaching. They're interacting in a way that uplifts and encourages each other. 
Then it says, all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions as goods. They gave to everyone, anyone as he had a need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And friends, whether it's by the thousands or whether it's by ones and twos, the essence of why we do what we do is so that numbers will be added not to our attendance, but numbers will be added to the list of those who are being saved by the power of the cross. And, and, and that's the essence of, of why it's important for our next years to be our best years, for us continually moving forward. As a part of that series, as we wrapped up the, the, the series of messages that talked about the people part of it, uh, we came away from there with some objectives. And in order for the next five years to be the best five years people-wise, these are some of the th- things we felt needed to happen. More people involved in serving. And if you noticed, um, those who stood, and then if you looked at all, around at all, you saw people who were not standing but who are actively engaged in our ministry and are actively engaged in service. So, again, that was one of the objectives. More people discovering their God-given gifts, abilities, and passions. More people discovering, developing, and using their leadership skills. More disciples making disciples who make disciples. And, friends, the goal isn't to get you in here and help you become a disciple of Christ. That's only the first part. That continues with... After you've become a disciple of Jesus Christ, after you become engaged as a part of the body of believers located here in this specific place, is for you to begin to make disciples. And you know that you're making disciples when they in turn begin to make disciples. So that was part of the, the, what we looked for, what we cast the vision for people. With regard to places, uh, at that point our challenge was to make the most of our existing space to take the ministry with us when we leave. In the series, I emphasize that places is not just about this place, but everywhere we go as a part of the body of Christ is a place of ministry. And so we, we cast a bit of a vision for what it will look like for you to take the ministry of caring community with you wherever you go. Expand our contact within the community. I continue to support ministries outside our walls like missions and other outreach ministries that are not directly connected to us and address the possibility of adding space. And then in programs, a part of what I talked about in that series of messages was that we all take personal responsibility for pursuing spiritual growth. Friends, it is one thing for the church to offer programs, Bible studies, Sunday morning worship, service opportunities, youth ministries. That's all part of the program. But the real program is what you do and what responsibility you take for your own personal spiritual growth. Because all the programming in the world isn't going to change lives unless we choose to engage in it and we choose to do something with it beyond these walls. I've said it before and I will say it again. Irregardless of how well our worship team does, and irregardless of how well I may or may not preach. If this is all you're getting, 
It's not enough. It's that simple. Even if you're here every Sunday, it's not enough. We have to take personal responsibility for pursuing spiritual growth. Uh, We talked also about programming in terms of church-wide efforts to maintain our current level of programming while while looking for ways to expand. So, again, that was 2012. That was what we were talking about in terms of people, places, and programs. I'm going to quickly recap some of what we've seen in those areas, and then I'm going to take even a smaller amount of time to kind of cast a vision uh, for what I want you to expect. Attendance, and and again, many of you know this. Some of you probably don't have a clue. Many of you may not really even care. Uh, But our church year runs from June 1st to May 31st. So when I put attendance statistics for 2012, it's basically for June 2011 through May 2012. So the year in which I preached that, we finished up with an average attendance of 128. That's adults, children, uh, and people who drive by slow, because that's the way I count attendance, all right? Um, I wish. But anyway, because there's a lot of people across the street driving by that I'd like to count. But anyway, um, <laughs> uh, there's a whole lot more there. We won't unpack that. Uh, 2013, it was 136. 2014, it was 135. So, again, uh, in 2014, I was feeling pretty good about things, all right? Because we cast this vision, the best is yet to come, and it's just stair-stepping up. It's like, woohoo, rocking it. Uh, then 2015, uh, we start going the other direction. Uh, 128, 2016, 122, 2017, our average was 112. Uh, based on from June 1st to last Sunday, so far this year, our average is 103. Um, friends, this is just one of many things that keeps me awake at night. All right, That concerns me. Uh, And again, it's not all about numbers, but numbers generally tell us something. As I will say now, and I'll probably say again, sometimes I don't understand what the numbers are telling me. All right? Um, The interesting thing is you look at these attendance figures. The next category is responsibility. One of the things that we're encouraged or we're required by our denomination to do is keep a responsibility list. All right? Uh, People that if you stop them on the street and asked, they would say, well, I go to caring community. Now, that may be infrequently, but if they self-identify as a part of this body of believers, if they're listed in our church uh, management software, and, and we feel if you ask them, they'd say, this is their church. If there's a death in their family, they're going to call here. If they're looking for a wedding, they're going to call here. Uh, that's our responsibility list. In 2012, our responsibility list was 220, 239, 247, 265, 285, 265, 265. Now, obviously, you and I both know people come and go, people move away, people feel like another ministry might suit their needs better, they decide church isn't for them. There are a multitude of reasons why people go. What I find somewhat confusing, uh, what really keeps me awake at night, is attendance going down while the responsibility list stays pretty constant. That makes me scratch my head. And I have a lot of personal speculation. I don't have any data that I feel is warranted to share. But I certainly have concerns in terms of why that is. And again, understanding attendance is not the only measure of things. It is not the only measure of church health. 
But obviously, if attendance continues to go down, um, it is something that merits our attention. And somewhere there's a bit of a disconnect between feeling like this is your church and attendance. And again, uh, many of you have known me a long time, and I'm not one who says every time the church doors are open, you need to be here. But on the other hand, being here is a part of making sure the church is here when you need it. Now, what adds further confusion to me, for me personally, and makes this discernment process a little bit more complicated, is the next column. And when I say giving, before I flash that up there, before I say giving, this is undesignated tithes and offerings. Partway through this period, we had an above and beyond challenge uh, of caring for the generations, a capital campaign for building uh, that we will talk about at great length next week when we celebrate its successful conclusion, uh, whereby nearly $245,000 have been given in part of that period over and above regular tithes and offerings. So anyway, so here's the numbers. Uh, oh, yeah, you bet. You can clap a lot for that next week. But anyway, all right, um, 141 thousand, one hundred fifty-six thousand, one hundred sixty-three thousand, two hundred twenty-one thousand, two hundred seventeen thousand, two hundred twelve thousand, and actually, uh, based on what's happened so far this year, we're actually on a line to be probably back up in the two hundred twenty thousand range uh, again, without knowing what happens between now and then. But that's that's kind of where we're tracking. So some of you know that you know if you're like me, I look at that and say, huh, what happened? All right, you know, how did we go from 163 to 120 or 221,000 uh, when our attendance actually went down? A part of that was in that, in that period of time from 2014 to 2015 was when we embraced a teaching called the Blessed Life, where we challenged ourselves, where I confessed and repented of being too soft in talking about the importance of bringing God's tithe into the storehouse. And I acknowledged that I had been negligent as a pastor and been too soft on that. And again, many of you know, I'm not a hardliner on anything, but Scripture is what Scripture is. And it talks about a literal 10% tithe. Belongs to God, He gets it first. And as we talked through that, and many of you embraced that, to me that is one of the things that contributed to that and has sustained that uh, over the course of that time. But what I find interesting is that even though attendance drops, giving has remained constant. Now, part of what that's telling me, and again, this is mere speculation, but part of me says people are still, and part of this was online giving and the option, people are still passionately supporting the ministry even though they're not here as consistently as they used to be. Now, I'm not saying that's good. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm simply saying that appears to be what that's indicating. And so that's just to give us kind of a snapshot of one piece of the people part. I hinted at it earlier. Um, in other areas of the people part, from 2012 to now, we've seen some really, really positive things. We've seen people who were not engaged at all begin attending and become heavily involved. In ministry, we've seen people begin to teach down the hall who were never teachers before. In that same time period as when we made the step in the people direction, 
of adding Cheryl to staff to begin to help manage our volunteers and make sure we were being more effective. Um, in that same period of time, just this past year, we chose to ex- expand the size of our board administration, which is our primary leadership team, from seven people to nine people to increase the number of people engaged. And I'll talk more about that in just a few moments. So, again, in the people thing, we've seen some things that make me scratch my head, and we've seen some really positive things. We've seen people who have been very, very faithful for a very long period of time continue to be very, very faithful, and that's awesome. We've seen some people, and I hope he's going to hear me down the hall now that we have a speaker down there. I have to be careful what I say. Uh, But I'm going to talk about Ron Owens for just a moment. Many of you know Ron. He's served faithfully. He was the building committee chair for our first building program. Uh, He served on the board of administration for many years, and he reached a point where he said, you know what, I, I still love the church, and I will support the church, but I'm done being a leader because it's time for others to, to step up, and, and I've just been done. Um, I had a conversation with somebody else this week who had a similar experience where uh, God eventually came to Ron and said, you're done when I tell you you're done, and I'm not done using you yet, so step up. Ron served as co-chair for our building program, um, and he thought that was the end of it, and then God called him to serve as a, as a special consultant to the board administration as we worked through some issues, including sabbatical and succession planning. And, and so, <clears throat> as people think, we've seen some, some of that. So, a- again, we've certainly seen people leave. Uh, we've seen people move on because God called them to other places, um, job relocation. So the people thing, I think we've seen some really positive things, and we've seen some things that we, we've got to wrestle with. Um, There we go. In the places part, uh, again, if you remember the list of things I went through, obviously the fact that I'm standing here where I'm standing tells me that from 2012 we addressed some very significant things with regard to places, including a a very extensive renovation of this facility, adding this space in the auditorium, adding the children's wing, uh, redoing the lobby, uh, we've added, in addition to that, we've improved the sound system uh, just a couple weeks ago. Hopefully you've all noticed, uh, but uh, just a few weeks ago we added speakers in the lobby and in the hallway and in the nursery, uh, just continually looking to make improvements in, in the places. Um, a part of the goal was to, to use the space more strategically, and we continue to see our places used in a multitude of different ways, uh, multiple events going on at the same time. So we've seen some real progress there. As I listen to the, uh, the recordings from our vision casting for places, uh, I realized there were some things we didn't meet. A part of the vision I was casting in 2012 was for us to have a gymnasium uh, before I was too old to use it. Um, we're at the point where now, unless it's wheelchair accessible, um, I'm not going to get much use out of it. Um, but as we worked through the building program process, we realized it was not cost-effective for that to be where we invested in the ministry in that particular season. There were some other things in that vision casting that ended up not becoming reality because we realized we had to make the most with the money that we had available, and and that was just part of it. So places, we've seen some huge strides, but there's certainly more. Um, Our mission support has actually shrunk, not dollar-wise, but in terms of the number of missionaries we support. I think sometimes unless... trying to say this in a, in a polite way. In, unless I am 
very lovingly persistent in reminding us of our need to be outwardly focused, individually and collectively, it's very natural for us to become inwardly focused. And so unless I'm consistently saying, hey, who have you invited lately? Who have I invited lately? Who have you invited from work? Who have you invited from the gym? Who have you invited from school? Um, it it kind of slips off. So there's some places emphasis uh, that would merit some, some readjustment. In terms of the programs, uh, we have maintained most of our programs. There were some that we felt were not as effective as they could be, and we've reduced them or, or limited them or, or cut them out. We've also added some pretty exciting stuff. I, I think about ballet. We got a call just this week from somebody else in the community who was wanting to know about ballet classes. And um, that's a pretty cool program that we've added. I think about financial peace. Um, that was not even on our radar in 2012. And there's a great financial peace story from just this past week that I'm not going to take time to tell. Um, but God is using that in an exciting way. And so, again, uh, programming, we've seen some great victories. And we've seen some, um, some setbacks, uh, which, again, I think that's part of life. None of which would keep the future years uh, from being our best years, and that's a vision we want to grapple with. So again, people, places, programs, I've harped on that. Excuse me. I've reminded you of that vision long enough uh, that it's time to move on. Which brings me to uh, a little bit of summary in terms of looking ahead into 2018 and 2019. 2020. Can, can you believe I'm even saying that? Uh, I mean, some of you, like me, Remember when 2020 was science fiction, you know? Yeah. Some of you remember when 1984 was vision casting. But anyway, uh, the best is yet to come. Everything changes. Um, some of you have picked up that, that things are changing around here. Um, some of you may not have picked up on it yet. Um, uh, but I, I want to cast a little bit of vision uh, for some of the things that are changing and why some of them are changing. And I'm not, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. Uh, by the way, when I listened to my recordings from 2012, um, some of them were like 45 minutes long. And I realized I've been letting you guys off way too easy, but just a thought. Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 11. And yes, it is not up on the screen. Surprise, all right? If you have an app on your phone or you have the old-fashioned uh, print version, uh, go for it. If not, just listen. Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 1. It was he, referring to Christ, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors, teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and crafting, by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined together, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Friends, as I think about, 
some of the changes that we're making. Some of it's behind the scenes, and sometimes you may bump up against it, and sometimes you may not fully understand it. And again, I'm not spending a lot of time on this, but one of the things that I've come to realize and that we have come to realize as a leadership team in the church is as our church started from just Diana and I and our four- and five-year-old daughters, um, there weren't a lot of people around to do stuff. So we kind of got in the habit of doing everything ourselves. As we grew, that became increasingly improbable. But I have never been as responsible as I should be as a pastor teacher in equipping you for ministry and releasing you to do ministry. And as a result, um, it has unintentionally created uh, an overdependence on me as a person. And I've become overly dependent upon you for a sense of whether or not I was succeeding. If the numbers went up, I felt good. I felt like I was succeeding. If the numbers went down, I felt like I was a dismal failure. The reality is, as your pastor and as a leader, I do own some of that responsibility. But I've owned more of that than is healthy for me and is healthy for you. And so what we are desperately in the process, not desperately, but we are very intentionally in the process of doing is calling me out to make sure that I'm releasing you and empowering you to do ministry. And the reason that's important is we need you to understand, and we being those of us in leadership as we work through this process, we need you to understand that if you reach out to me And the same applies to Cheryl, because poor Cheryl, as she came on staff, I taught her to do ministry the way I did ministry. And and again, a lot of times we've just transferred my burden onto her and never released you to embrace it as a shared ministry responsibility. So what, what I want you to begin to grasp or to understand and to communicate with others is as we work our way through this is... When you reach out to me and with a need, with a request, um, if I'm not the one who responds, if I deflect your request or pass your request on to someone else who responds, it's not because I care less. It's not because I value you less. It's not because you are not important. It's because I've deprived everyone in the church from the sense of fulfillment that I get when I respond to people in need. Virtually every need someone in our church has, there are others in our church who are equally capable, or in some cases more capable than I am, or than Cheryl is to meet that need. And a part of our vision moving forward is for us to understand that if it's not Pastor Steve, or it's not Cheryl responding, but it is somebody from your church family responding, that is them responding in the gifting and the grace of God to meet you at a place of need. And to me, the benefit of that, uh, there are countless benefits, but two of them are, first of all, it allows far more people to share in a sense of, I'm making a difference for the kingdom of God. And it also 
means there are more people to respond to the needs as they arise. And so we want you to understand that it's not that I care less. It's not that I'm shirking my responsibility or Cheryl's shirking her responsibility. It's a matter of understanding that a part of our role as paid staff is to facilitate others in using their gifts, talents, and abilities to advance the kingdom of God. And, and so that's a part of what we are in the process of doing. Again, it's not because I've got one foot out the door. It's not because of any of that. But the reality is it is important for us as a church to move forward in the next five years, the next ten years, to begin to understand we all have a sense of ownership uh, of the health of our church as it moves forward. And, and that's what we want you to grasp. You know, one of the simple illustrations, and, and, and again, this applies across the board. And a part of this is in preparation for the sabbatical, and we'll talk about that more if you have questions following the service. Uh, but what we've come to realize is, um, I'll use an illustration from my past. Um, some of you know that my mom died just after I graduated from high school. And I was still living at home, and my dad took over the responsibility for cooking. Now, my dad's a good cook. He, he's still, I'll call him up, and he's, you know, 90 years old in his condo by himself, and he's cooking up a storm, and, and that's, that's just humbling to me. But anyway, um, but after Mom died, um, Dad was more than willing to cook, but I'm finicky. And he wasn't going to cook stuff that I didn't like. So we had a very clear menu, almost an actual weekly rotation uh, of what stuff was cooked. And some of you know that some things many people wouldn't like that I do like. Like, I like my meat burnt. And so Dad would burn my meat. All right, that's just the way pork chops were supposed to be done. When it was pork chop day, fire up the grill regardless of the time of year and burn some pork chops on the grill. Um, Dad's goulash was very unique, but it was the only goulash I knew. The problem being is when I got married. Now, many of you women can recall after you got married hearing your husband say, well, that's not the way mom made it. And, and you know how that kind of twisted things a little bit. Imagine that's not how dad made it. Huh? But what had happened is I, I'd gotten used to one specific style of cooking. And other people cook different. Not bad, not good, just different. Because of how I've led, we have conditioned you to be very used to my style of cooking, my style of teaching, my style of leadership, my style of pastoral care. Many of you listen to preachers on TV, and you understand I'm not all that, all right? But it's what you're used to, and you've come to appreciate it. What we need you to understand is moving forward, you can survive and even thrive on other folks cooking, all right? And that's part of what we're desirous of helping us transition to. And please understand the biggest resistance that we're getting to beginning to make some of these changes is me. I've spent 
nearly 40 years pastoring the only way I knew how. But I'm realizing out of my love for you and my love for the church that we represent, it's imperative that we begin to grasp something different. You have no idea how many times Diana and I are holding each other back because <clears throat> we want to jump in and do something or fix something. And, and I'm, I'm struggling. There are times when I'm going to make a hospital call because it's a convenient time for me, and it's like, oh, I really should see if somebody wants to go with me because they need to be a part of this. Or when the times that I've let someone else go and I didn't go, it kills me because I feel like I'm shirking my responsibility. But that's the only way we're going to move forward. People, places, programs, that continues to be uh, the challenge for us. And we need to continually understand the balance that comes with that. And, and again, please understand um, change is necessary. Is that the last one? All right. We need to understand uh, change is necessary. It's up to us. Ah, there we go. It's up to us to determine whether it's change for the better or it's just change. And again, my heart cry is that we will collectively understand everything's going to change one way or the other. But collectively, we can make the next five years the best five years. And that can continually be the grace year after year after year. But we all have to be willing to do what we can to make it happen. Would you pray with me? Father, I know I've thrown a lot at folks, and, and some of it's relevant to where they're at, and some of it isn't. But you know my heart. You know that few things would make me happier than to look back one day and realize these years that I've invested in caring community, the years that those who have been with us for 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35 years have invested, we're just laying the foundation for what's to come. Father, there is so much need around us. I pray that you would help each and every one of us to catch a vision personally for what we need to do to make our own individual next five years better than the previous five years. But I also pray that you would help each and every one of us to catch a vision for what we can bring to the table to make the next five years for Caring Community Church the best five years to date. And Father, it's not just about numbers. It's not just about dollars. I think about faith decisions. I think about baptisms. I think about baby dedications. I think about classrooms down the hall. I think about programs that bring people in who don't attend here and change their lives, whether they ever worship here or not. Father, give us that vision. Help us to come to terms with what it is we individually need to embrace in order for that to happen. 
thank you and I praise you, Father. Amen. Michelle?